Dr. Patterson, Mrs. Patterson, thank you so much for letting me come preach today. Uh, I am very excited. I'm glad my wife and my parents, my mother-in-law are able to make it, so thank you guys for coming out. Uh, but like Dr. Patterson mentioned, I, me and my wife are relatively new parents. We have a nine-month-old uh, who has been a joy all nine months. And at nine months old, she's learning a lot of new things, like how to you know, eat whole food and how to crawl, which that's crazy. But uh, one of her favorite things to do is to see how loud she can get. And this is great when we're you know, at home and it's just us, but it, it gets kind of awkward when we're in public situations, like, I don't know, when somebody's praying in church or when a really fancy dinner, it makes things a little awkward. And you know, one time we went to a member meeting. It was, it was a very serious subject matter. And that was the time where she decided, I think I'll decide how loud I can blow raspberries. Uh, right in the middle of the service, and you know, as best as we could, we tried to convince her, this is probably not the best time to imitate Dr. Day and see how loud we can get. Uh, <laughs> and you know, in that moment, inevitably stares came, and it was just awkward. And you don't have to be a parent, a parent to understand awkward situations. We've all seen them, and if we're lucky enough, we've been a part of them. Um, and the Bible, luckily for us, is full of awkward situations. And our text today plunges into the middle of a very awkward dinner party. So if you'll turn to Luke chapter 7, we'll begin in verse 36. But before we actually get to the text, I want to set the context. And Luke 7 centers around the question, who is Jesus? Uh, in the opening of the chapter, we see Jesus healing a man just by saying, hey, you're healed. He, didn't, he wasn't even in the same vicinity as him. He just said, you're healed. And, and this guy was healed. And then he raised a man from the dead, which that's not normal. So people started saying, oh, this man must be a prophet. He's, he's doing the things that prophets do. And even John the Baptist starts questioning, who is this guy? And so he sends messengers to Jesus and he asks, are you the Messiah or we should, be, should, be, we, should we be waiting for someone else? And in response, Jesus actually heals more people. He says, the blind can see, the, the sick are healed. And not only was John the Baptist questioning this, but the Pharisees were questioning this. But their intent was a little more malicious. So our text picks up when a Pharisee eventually decides, I'm going to find out who this guy actually is. So verse 36, Luke actually does me a favor, and he sets the context. So let's read verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So this Pharisee invited him over for dinner, and typically in a setting like this, it would be a great banquet. Lots of food would be prepared, lots of guests would be invited, and everyone would be minding their manners to a T just because they didn't want to bring shame on themselves. Um, but just to set the context a little more, banquets in that time were not like banquets now. We, we, we sit at big tables, but they actually, their tables were lower to the ground. So when it says Jesus reclined, he actually laid down and rested on his left arm. His feet were out behind him, and he would reach with his right hand to grab the food. So that's just to give you a picture of what is actually happening. But then Luke throws a bit of a twist into the story in verses 37 and 38. He writes, And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. So in steps this woman who apparently has a reputation around the city. She's known as a sinner, as a homartalos, uh, which literally translates sinner. So we're, we're not really given what she is known for. A lot of people take that to 
mean she was an immoral woman or a prostitute, but the text simply says she's a sinner. And people know that. And then this woman shows up. And why? Well, the text tells us she was actually looking for Jesus. She heard he was at this Pharisee's house, so she came looking for him. And she finds him there. But immediately we know something is off because she starts weeping. It, 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 and then she starts doing other crazy things. She, she weeps. She wets his feet with her tears. She, she wipes him with the hair of her head. She kisses his feet. That's not normal. And then she anoints them with the perfume that she brought. Now let, let's look at each of these things. The weeping that's, that Luke describes here, the word he uses is brecain, which is typically related to rain showers. So this isn't just her crying a little bit. This is her weeping uncontrollably, like shaking. And, and as she, she cries, she sees, oh, I'm getting his feet wet. I have to dry his, his feet. But she doesn't have anything to dry it with. So she undoes her hair and she stoops down and she starts wiping his feet with her hair. Now that may not seem like a big deal to us, but to undo your hair in that time was highly offensive. And it was often grounds for divorce. People get divorced because they, their wife let their hair down in public. So she, she willingly brought on that shame. She willingly undid her hair and started drying his feet. And then she started kissing and anointing Jesus' feet, um, which again, isn't normal. And, and it, it, it's even more not normal because of the oil she used, the perfume that she used. Now, an alabaster vial in and of itself is pretty expensive because you can only use it once. To use it, you actually have to break the vial and then pour it. So that, that jar is useless once you use it once. But this perfume is even more expensive. In a similar story in Mark, it, Mark says that this, something like this could cost up to 300 denarii, which, as seminary students, we all know, a denarii is the equivalent of a day's wages. So this is almost a year's worth of, of wages that she's just pouring on Jesus' feet. And Luke intensifies it even more because he says, these, these are all in the imperfect, which basically means she keeps doing these things. It's not just she dried his foot once, she kissed his foot once, she anointed his foot once. She's continuing to do these things. So she is lost. She is unceasing in her service to Jesus. And we're not really sure why. She just showed up and started doing these things. And we may wonder, why is this woman here? But that's not the question on the Pharisee's mind. The Pharisee immediately begins to question Jesus. In verse 39, Luke writes, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. So the Pharisee knows this woman's background. He, she's popular around the city as being known as a sinner. And he even mentions that same word, hamartala, sinner. So he knows this woman's reputation. He equates the fact that she's touching him. Jesus can't be a prophet. Prophets know people's background, and they wouldn't let an immoral woman like this touch them. Who, who is this guy? They, he can't be the prophet that everyone's saying that he is. And then, and then an even crazier thing happens. Jesus answers the Pharisee. Uh, we'll, we'll read a big chunk here, so 40 through 48. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, 
but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. And for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. So if there was ever a few words that I would not want Jesus to say to me, it would be these words, especially if he's responding to a thought that I had. Because if you, if you notice, the Pharisee didn't actually say this out loud. He just thought it. Oh, this man can't be a prophet. And then Jesus answers him and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Not words I would want to hear in response to my thoughts. But then you know, Simon plays along. Say it, teacher. I'll listen. And Jesus puts this parable in the middle of the story. There's a moneylender who has two debtors. One uh, owes 500 denarii, which, like we said a minute ago, is the equivalent of a day's wages. Uh, and then he has another one that owes 50. Now, let, let's put this in context. Both of these guys are in a pretty impossible situation. If you think about it, 50 denarii, if we're going by the day's wage, that's about two months' worth of wages that he has to pay back to this guy. Now, he, he could, but in doing so, he would starve, his family would starve. He, he just wouldn't be able to, to survive if he just worked for two months, paid, all, paid the moneylender back all that he owed. He, he wouldn't survive. So he's in an impossible situation. But the guy who, had, who, who owed 500 denarii, it's, it's literally impossible. That's a year and a half's worth of wages that he has to pay back. And the moneylender sees both of these guys and he says, neither of these guys can pay me back. But because of who I am, because of the grace that I have, I'll offer forgiveness to them. Uh, at great cost to myself, too. I, I don't know that I've ever thought about that, but this guy is out 550 denarii now. But he, he forgives them because of his grace. He graciously forgave them. And then Jesus asks Simon a question after this parable. Which of them do you think will love him more? And Simon, I, I can assume by this point, knows he's setting himself in a trap. Even in his answer, he says, I suppose that the one whom he forgave more would love him more. And Jesus said, you're correct. That is, that is the right answer. And then an interesting, thing's ha an interesting thing happens. He turns to the woman who, by the way, is still kissing, still anointing, still wiping, all these things. And he turns to her but he talks to Simon and he says, do you see this woman? And again, I can imagine Simon thinking, uh, of course I can. She interrupted my party. She's causing this commotion by wiping and kissing and anointing her feet. How can I miss her? She's right there. But Jesus isn't asking, hey, do you see this woman right here physically? He's asking her, do you see who she is? Do you, do you see who she really is? Who is this woman? This is the one who rather than Simon wet his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. This is the woman who rather than Simon greeted him with a kiss, but it was a kiss on his feet and she kept kissing. This is the one rather than Simon who anointed his feet with a costly perfume. This is the one who owed 500 denarii and who was forgiven her sins. This is the one who had many sins, but though she had many sins, she was forgiven. And then he, he follows this explanation of who she is with, with a, a, a statement to Simon. He who is forgiven little loves little. And then as if to accent his point, he says, and he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. It's important to know that that word for, have been forgiven is in the perfect tense, which means this has already happened. She's been forgiven. 
And she's responding to this forgiveness by, by extravagant service, at great cost to herself, with the perfume, with the time, everything. And that's the point of the parable. Jesus is saying, those who, who realize that the, the weight of their sin has been forgiven, they will love much, and they will love me much because I'm the one that's forgiving them. But the one who thinks he owes little will love little because he, he realizes, or he thinks, I don't have much to be forgiven, so I, I don't have to love much. But that's not where Luke stops. That's, that's kind of where Jesus stops. Luke continues. In verse 49, he says, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Luke continues on and he actually brings back up the, the subject of chapter seven. Who is Jesus? And people have been saying, oh, this guy's a prophet. He's, he, a God has raised up a new prophet. And Jesus has certainly been doing things that, that other prophets have done in the Old Testament. He's healed people. He's raised a man from the dead like Elijah did. Um, but then he comes along and forgives sins. No prophet had the audacity to forgive sins. No one even dared say that. because, it, it, And this actually isn't the first time someone's asked, who is this man who even forgives sins? If you look back in chapter 5 of Luke, Pharisees ask that. They say, who is this man who utters blasphemies? Only God can forgive sins. Who, who is this guy? Well, Luke, in setting this up, shows that Jesus has the audacity to forgive sins because he has the authority to forgive sins. So Jesus, in declaring this woman forgiven, declares himself to be the son of man who has the authority to forgive sins on earth. This is the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. This Jesus is the God man who has come to give his life as a ransom for many. And Luke weaves this, this depiction of who Jesus is with what he does and he weaves it together for his readers, and that's us. So in his authority, Jesus graciously extends forgiveness to all sinners. And this demands a response on our part. This offer of forgiveness demands a response on our part. So the first response that we can give is to respond like this woman. If you've been forgiven, know that your sin was great, and Jesus saw it, and he took it on himself, and he said, I'll forgive you just Take this offer of forgiveness and you won't be defined by that sin anymore. Your sins will be forgiven and you will be able to live in the state of forgiveness in right relationship with God. And she acted because she had already been forgiven. So that, that's, that's a call to us. If we've been forgiven, we, some practical ways that we can do that is we can show gratitude with our time. How do we serve Christ with our time? She sought out Jesus. She, I'm sure she had other things to do, but she heard that he was at this party and she sought him out just to bless him and serve him. And she also showed gratitude with her giving. This perfume that she had, it was, it was costly. She, she could have gotten a lot of things with this, but she instead decided to use it on Jesus' feet to honor and serve him. And she showed gratitude in her service. She undid her hair, she wiped his feet, she kissed his feet, she anointed his feet. So this is the first way that we can respond, but this isn't the, the type of response that, that Luke is trying to get at. He, he directed this parable at Simon. So the, the second thing we can do is we can refuse to count our sins as little and therefore love Christ little. And this particularly hits home for us because I... Me as a human being, and I think all of us as human beings, we have a bad tendency to compare our sins with one another. Oh, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Look at what he did. I just told a little white lie. 
that guy's in prison. I, I, there's no comparison there. I'm so much better than he is. But that's not, what, that's not how God sees sin. And, and Christ is trying to show Simon this. In, in the parable, he mentions two debtors who both owe debts they can't repay. And so what, what Jesus is trying to say is, this isn't how God sees sin, but this is how you see sin. And I want you to see how God sees sin. And one way that we can describe it is as is if we are on the street level and we're looking at different uh, sizes of houses. So I may have a shack of sin, but that guy has a skyscraper. There's no comparison. But God doesn't see it like that. He's in a plane. He's, he's looking down at the city and everything's 2D. Everything is the same. No matter if it's a white lie or if it's murder or something like that. All, everything separates him. Everything separates man from God equally. And so really this applies to two people, non-believers. First, you need to recognize the weight of your sin. Though you may think you have a debt of 50 denarii, that's still an unpayable amount and you still need forgiveness. There's no way you can pay it back. And Christ being who he is, is extending forgiveness to you today. He's saying, take hold of it. Let him take the burden of sin off of your shoulders so that you can live in a state of forgiveness and in right relationship with God. And for believers, refuse to count your sins as little and love Christ little. You've been forgiven, now act like it. Simon, much like the woman had a debt he couldn't pay back, and we're in that same situation, we were in that same situation Christ offered us forgiveness. He saw us as we were, and he said, I'm extending you forgiveness. And if you're a believer, you've taken hold of that. But I worry that we don't get that. We don't understand our plight. We didn't understand our plight when we accepted that offer of forgiveness. And if you are counting your sins as a little and loving Christ, it'll stop. And one way that we can realize that is to, to really look at the cross. Because in the cross, we see how great our sin before God is. But in the cross, we also see the great grace of our God and the great lengths he will go to forgive us. So remember the cross and remember the situation you were in when Christ came and offered you forgiveness. You were in an unpayable debt. There was no way you could pay back God for the debt of your sin, but he graciously forgave you because of who he is. And another way that we can remind ourselves of this this great forgiveness is to surround ourselves with people who... uh, who will point us to the cross and remind us, look, your sin was, was bad and it, it was unpayable, but Christ came and he offered that forgiveness and you took hold of it. And now you live in a state of forgiveness. So respond well, respond like this woman and serve Christ wholeheartedly. I do wanna mention one more thing from this passage. You notice we don't actually see how Simon responds. It's just left to he who loves little or he who is forgiven little loves little. And while we may not get to see how Simon responds, we do get to control how we respond. So Jesus in his authority offers us grace. And for the non-believer, the offer is extended to you today. Take hold of this grace. If you are burdened by sin, take hold of this grace and get back in right relationship with God. You will find peace. You will find joy in that relationship. So just take hold of this forgiveness. All you have to do is trust. And for the believer, I, I leave you with a question. Are you making light of your sin and continuing in willing ignorance of it? Are you counting your sins as little and therefore loving Christ little? Or will you turn and will you count your sins as much and realize that Christ saw how great your sin was and he went to the cross for you and now he's offering forgiveness for you? Respond rightly. So, how will you respond?